Hear the word of God from Luke, chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. These readings come from the New Revised Standard Version. You can find this reading on page 832 in the Pew Bible. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant, David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor, Abraham, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of our sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. Now, it's interesting, if you take a look at the opening to Luke's gospel, before we hear the name Jesus, before we even hear of the birth of Jesus or hear the names Mary and Joseph, the very first name that Luke wants us to know about is Zechariah. I find that fascinating because as tempted as we might be this time of year to skip straight ahead to Christmas, Luke would want to remind us that we still have to go through Advent. Before we get to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, before we get to the joy and the light and the brightness and good cheer, Luke would remind us that we have to get through the lesson that Zechariah would want to teach us. And the lesson is this. Take a breath. Be still. Quiet your mind. And most importantly, quiet your soul. Because I don't know about you, but for most of us, for many of us, this is a noisy time. There's, there's a lot going on in our lives, isn't there? This is the time of preparation, getting ready for festivities and family gatherings and going to one event after the other. For the students who are here in the sanctuary or watching online, we know this has been a crazy week with finals. My two daughters have been crazy busy with noise in their life every single night, cramming for those tests. And, and that doesn't even count the noise that's all throughout the world. I mean, Sally just prayed a beautiful prayer that just hit the, the highlights of all of the noise, the cacophony of trouble and brokenness and heartache in the world. We come to this moment just 24 hours before Christmas Eve, and there's a lot of noise. And Luke would remind us, through the person of Zechariah, that before we can experience the light and good news of Christmas, we need to take a breath and be silent quiet our souls. So he tells us this whole remarkable story of Zechariah. Zechariah is a religious leader. He's a, a priest in the Israelite nation. He's advanced in age. He and his wife Elizabeth are old enough to where they're past the years of being able to give birth to a child. So they're childless. And one day, Zechariah is going into the temple 
to do one of the great things that a priest gets to do. Just one time in the entire year, an individual priest gets to go into the Holy of Holies and do the most remarkable thing that any priest gets to do, to offer prayers on behalf of the entire Israelite nation. It's like the pinnacle of his career in this moment. He's in the Holy of Holies, offering incense, making a burnt offering to God to sing praise to God. And in that moment, his mind is filled with all the heartache and the sin and brokenness. Very similar, I suspect, to the prayer that Sally just prayed. Everything that was wrong in the world, he is lifting them up in petition to God. And we can imagine that in the background is all the noise within his soul. All the grief and the heartache and regrets of the life that he and Elizabeth would have wanted to live, but without a child, they are barren and they have no sense of what hope or future would look like for them. So there's all of the responsibilities professionally and all of the burden personally, all of it amounts to a lot of noise in his soul. And it's at that moment, Luke says, that the amazing happens. An angel named Gabriel bursts into the Holy of Holies and gives him some news that was astounding to hear. Zechariah, I am the angel Gabriel, and I am here to share with you good news that you and Elizabeth are going to give birth to a child. And that child is to be named John. And this child won't be just any baby. This baby is going to be the forerunner to the Messiah, the precursor to the Savior, what do you think of that, Zechariah? And we would, we would have loved it if Zechariah had responded, Woohoo! Great joy! Lots of cheer! But, but Luke tells us that that is the complete opposite of what Zechariah said. Because again, Zechariah was living a life of noise, cacophony and chaos. And so his words to the angel Gabriel were this, how can this be since I am old and, and, and Elizabeth is well past her years? In other words, instead of being able to sing a song of joy, Zechariah sings a very understandable song of confusion and disbelief and despair and grief. Very similar, I suspect, to the kinds of songs you and I are singing just a day away from Christmas. And, you know, we would love to be able to just push that stuff off to the side and pretend that things are bright and cheery, but we come into this place with lots of noise. It's interesting what the angel said in response. I come to bring you good news, Zechariah, but because of what you just said, I'm going to strike you mute, unable to speak, until this baby is born. Wow. And you know, there's a part of us that would, would see this response as punishment. I mean, this is a pretty severe sentence for God to lay down. We would think God must be angry at Zechariah for, for saying a response that, frankly, you and I would have responded with. But what if? Luke would have us ponder this question. What if this was not a punishment from God after all? What if this were a prescription, a remedy for the deep down illness in Zachariah's soul? I mean, I would think it's a punishment. I mean, frankly, I can't, 
I can't think of a worse sentence than a, than a preacher who's unable to speak. One day before six worship services on Christmas Eve. But what, what if God is not punishing Zechariah, but prescribing something that he desperately needed and didn't even know he needed? A chance to be quiet. A chance to silence not only the voices in his mind, but the chaos in his life. To quiet his soul. Think about that. For nine months, he was unable to speak. Probably nine happy months for Elizabeth when you think about it. But as Elizabeth's belly grew, Zechariah couldn't say a word of expectation. And as, Zach, as Elizabeth went into labor, Zechariah couldn't speak a single word of comfort to his wife. And that moment when, when the baby was born, Zechariah could not sing a song of great relief and joy. A couple days passed after the baby was born. They had a gathering in their house typical Jewish tradition of a naming ceremony for the new baby and, a, and the circumcision. They had neighbors and friends come in from all over the place just so that they could officially hear what the baby's name was going to be. Everybody assumed that they would simply follow Jewish tradition and name the child after his father. Imagine they came in with their crocheted blankets that said Zach Jr. on there just to give to the baby. They said, clearly this kid's going to be named Zach Jr., right, Zachariah? But Zachariah just shook his head. What? The kid's named Zachariah? What's going on? And it's at that moment, Luke says, that Zachariah took a, a writing tablet and a stylus of some kind and wrote four words. His name is John. And it's at that moment that his, his throat began to tickle and his tongue began to wiggle for the first time in nine months. He was able to make a sound with his mouth. It was at that moment when he publicly professed for the first time that he, he actually believed what the angel was saying to him and he was receiving with conviction and clarity that all those other noises were now drowned out and he was able to proclaim for the first time that he believed the good news of God in his life and that's when he not only said something, he burst into song. And the lyrics to that song are the same words that David just read for you in this morning's scripture reading. A song of great joy which he could not sing until he was silent for nine months. I don't know the fullness of what you're going through this morning. I don't know what your life is like here on the brink of another Christmas Eve. But before you get to worship, either tonight, the family service, or 5.30 at, the, at Waterworks, or any of the six services tomorrow, before you get there, this is what Zachariah would want you to know. Take a break. I know you've been busy. I know there's a lot going on in your life. I know it feels full. I know the chaos seems crazy and the noises seem really loud. But if you don't, take a moment to quiet your soul and to find those sacred, blessed moments between now and Christmas for you to simply listen 
and take stock of your life and be thankful for the blessings that God has given you and hear this message of how God loves you, none of it will matter. What, what if God is trying to tell you how much God loves you right now, yet we're too deaf to hear it because we're choosing to focus on the other noises? I'm reminded of a fairy tale. Uh, once upon a time, as these fairy tales start, once upon a time, there was a man who was cursed by this evil witch. And here was the spell. That in any given year, he was only allowed to speak one word. Twelve months, one word. One day, he met this beautiful princess and fell madly in love with her at that very moment and desperately wanted to tell this princess just what he thought of her. And he, he decided that he didn't want to waste his word that year. He would wait a second year so that he could speak two words to her. He could say to her, my darling. Before the end of that second year, he realized he wanted to say so much more to this woman. He decided to wait three more years, a total of five, so that he could say five words to her, my darling, I love you. For five long years, he waited. Before the end of that fifth year, he realized he wanted to say so much more. That he not only wanted to say he loved her. Some of you already know where this is going. All right. He wanted to propose to her in marriage. So he decided to wait four more years. A total of nine. So that he could say to her, my darling, I love you. Will you marry me? The nine years passed. It was a glorious moment when he was able to speak again and decided for that moment he would bring her into a beautiful part of the royal garden, this secluded romantic spot in the garden where he sat her down, went down to one knee and heaped a hundred roses on her lap and finally for the first time in nine years said words out loud and said to this woman, my darling, I love you, will you marry me? To which the princess looked up and said, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Can you repeat that? <laughs> how tragic and how typical for someone to desperately want to say to you, I love you. For a God who would go to amazing lengths to send that message to you so crystal clear that you couldn't miss it, that you are too distracted to hear it. You know, that's what Christmas is about. It is about remembering the incredible lengths that God went to to share a message of love with you and the entire world, that God would even become one of us, a human being, frail, broken, and limited as we are, that God would become one of us so that God could speak a language that we could understand only to have us say, I'm sorry, what? We didn't hear you. Quiet your life. Before you get to Christmas, breathe. I have a friend who's a professional juggler. I met him in seminary. Good guy. His name is Tom. 
This guy could juggle anything. I was amazed. He juggled tennis balls, giant bowling balls, bowling pins. One time he was in the courtyard of the seminary juggling fireballs. The guy was just showing off. He was amazing. I said to him one day, Tom, I don't know how you do it. I could never juggle. And he said, sure you could. I said, no, you don't get it. I, I can't. I mean, this will be a surprise to you all, but I am not as graceful and limber as I appear. <laughs> he, he said, come on, try it. He handed me three tennis balls, and I think I spent more time scooping up the rolling tennis balls in the courtyard. I said, look, I can't do this. He said, McGray, let me tell you a secret. This is how you juggle. You know, most folks, they think that juggling is about manipulating the objects about focusing on the objects, catching them and throwing them at the right trajectory and, and putting your hands where you can catch them and, and being able to manage all these objects in the air. He said the mistake that a lot of jugglers, would-be jugglers make is that they only focus on the objects. He said if you want to juggle, don't focus on the objects. Focus on the space between the objects. Because when you learn to manipulate the space between the objects, juggling is a lot easier. I said, wow, I still can't juggle. <laughs> In fact, I'm a lot like you all. There's a lot that I'm trying to juggle right now. And I'm not doing a great job on all of them. That's a typical story for all of us, right? We just try to juggle so much. And we try to focus on the responsibilities themselves and the pressures and the deadlines and the heartache and the trouble and stuff from our past and in our present and in our future. And we're trying to juggle all of them. But Luke would tell us, look, look at the space between it all and listen and be quiet. Sometime before you go to a Christmas Eve service, take some time. Take moments to breathe and ponder the goodness of God in your life. Offer a prayer of thanksgiving for these blessings that you have. Lay up before God all the brokenness in your soul and just offer them to God just like Zechariah offered them at the altar. And then just listen and be still. And breathe, because after all, breath is the sacred symbol in the scriptures of the Holy Spirit. Your capacity to breathe is a symbol of God's Spirit in you. Breathe it in and breathe it out. And know that by the time you get to Christmas Eve, and you're able to hold that candlelight high and sing those carols, you'll be able to hear the good news of Jesus and God's love for you especially a particular carol that is very well known to us that is, to, that is this year celebrating its 200th birthday, a carol that speaks of silence and heavenly peace. Because it was on 1818 that an Austrian priest named Joseph Moore was a preacher, a priest at a little Austrian place called Obendorf, St. Nicholas Parish. Christmas Eve, 1818. Tragedy struck, of sorts, St. Nicholas Parish. As Joseph Moore was preparing the sanctuary for throngs of people to come and worship Christmas Eve, he realized that the organ didn't work. 
And after he diagnosed it, he realized, of all things, it didn't work because of an infestation of mice had eaten through the innards of the organ. How is that for an image? He didn't know what to do. But being resourceful, Joseph Moore remembered that he had penned a poem several years ago chronicling the events of the birth of Jesus. The only thing is, it didn't have any music to sing the poem to. So he went to a nearby town where a schoolmaster and friend and and fellow organist named Franz Gruber uh, was a gifted musician, and he said to his friend, look, I a couple hours, I've got Christmas Eve services, I have no way of leading the singing that night, but I have this poem. Could could you take these lyrics and set it to music in a way that maybe something like a guitar could help lead the congregation that night? Several hours later, Franz Gruber finished the composition, and that night at St. Nicholas Parish in Obendorf, Austria, for the very first time, 1818, a carol was sung named Stille Nacht, German, for the words, Silent Night. Fast forward almost 100 years later, 1914. This is a very different setting. It's also on Christmas Eve, also in Europe. Northern France, in the middle of World War I, along a fierce, nearly 500-mile battle line that had been drawn between the German forces on one side and the British and Allied forces on the other, engaged in a brutal battle. Among those on the Allied side was a British lieutenant named Charles Fowler, who recounts this amazing story from Christmas Eve, 1914. He said, at one point, a fellow British sentry that was posted to overlook the battlefield noticed a strange light emanating from the German side. Didn't know what it was. Charles Fowler poked his head up above the sandbags to get a close look at what that light was and realized, of all things, the German soldiers had erected a brightly lit Christmas tree. How strange. And then Fowler and his fellow British soldiers listened as they, as they heard the unmistakable sound of German soldiers singing a song. They didn't recognize the words to that song because it was in German, but the, but the melody was unmistakably clear. They were singing Stille Nacht, Silent Night. After they finished singing, the British soldiers erupted in applause. They chose not to return with fire. They returned with singing. Singing Silent Night in English back to the Germans. Unmistakable hush broke through the battlefield. For the first time in five months, after hundreds of thousands of people had been killed, something happened on Christmas Eve 1914 that the political leaders and the military leaders could not do. There was a truce in the battle. There was an end to the noisiness of violence and war. There was a hush that only Jesus could create. And what we now call the great truce of Christmas Eve 1914, all because of a song about silence. 
When dawn broke the next morning, Christmas morning, the amazing thing happened in sporadic pockets all along this 500-mile battlefield. Soldiers started to emerge from their trenches, Germans on one side, Allied forces on the other, and they met in no man's land right between them. And they started shaking hands and wishing each other Christmas greetings and giving each other small gifts and presents for Christmas. It was an amazing moment when silence overcame noise and peace overcame the violence, all because of what Jesus came to do. There was a lieutenant, a British lieutenant there named John Ferguson. This is what he said. He said, we shook hands. We wished each other a Merry Christmas, and we were soon conversing as if we had known each other for years. Here we were laughing and chatting with men whom only a few hours we were trying to kill. You know, over the next day and night, we'll be gathering in spaces like this to celebrate the birth of a child, to welcome the light that has come in amidst our darkness. The question for each of us this morning is this. Will we be able to hear it? Will we be able to silence all voices but God's and overcome the noise of tumult and chaos in the world and in our midst and hear about the good news of great joy that is for all people. That is the gift that God has for you today. Not a punishment, but a prescription of silence in your lives. Sometime over the next day or so, take a break, take stock, take a breath, and realize just how much God loves you and how much you can share that love with all people. Let's pray together. Oh God, we are once again on the brink of another Christmas Eve. We will hear the very familiar tale of your presence among us. Before we get there, teach us to be as Zachariah, to take a breath, and to find silence and stillness in our souls. And in fact, over these next 30 seconds of silence, help us to listen for your spirit and to simply be still. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and let all God's people say, Amen.